So today we're joining together in this series we call The Way of Jesus. And we're walking slowly, sorry, it was supposed to be faster, but I'm just walking slowly through the book of Mark. There are so many nuggets in the book of Mark that I have backed the train up and like, I don't know how long we're going to be in here, but we're going to be in here for a long time. And we're going to go back to the story of Jesus because he is the person and only he who can change human history 2,000 years ago. And if we're going to call ourselves disciples of Jesus, if we're going to call Jesus our Lord, if we're going to live out this calling, we need to study and to understand the ways of Jesus. And today we're going to see Jesus once again is going to slap us upside the head and change the paradigm of how we are to operate as a Christian community. And what we see is that all this, uh, all this is going to be Jesus coming in and saying, this is how you practice the way. And, and we see this, that one of the things that he's going to be very clear on is that he's going to redefine what family looks like. And he's going to say, you've got to have these spiritual eyes to be part of the way of Jesus. He, he's saying, there's a spiritual nature to everything. I need you all to know this. There is evil. There is good versus evil. There is a spiritual battle that's going on right now in all of our lives in some capacity. And we see this. We have to make sure that we, we understand that our time and our energy is going into the kingdom of God and not into the kingdom of this world. We talk about this a lot. So today's scripture, we're going to see, once again, people are challenging Jesus. This is a, Mark is like a rhythm, right? So I, I apologize, but the whole, the story is going to be the same over and over again. People come and they challenge Jesus. And there's two groups that are going to do this today. And one is actually really surprising. Despite Jesus's growing fame, we see that he receives a mixed reception from the religious leaders and even his own family. These are two people that are going to come and we see this, that there's a story sandwich that's going on here. There's two stories that are going on at once and it kind of makes a sandwich. And so let's jump in. Mark 3, 20 through 21. Then Jesus entered a house and once again, a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him for they said, he is out of his mind. It's a translation. Again, like always, there's this huge crowd that's following Jesus. And they're demanding so much of his time that he can't even eat. And it says this, that his family begins to get worried. And we know that it's family because it's translated that those who are with him, which would be this idiom of his, kin, his kinmen, his kinsmen. It would literally mean that they are in Nazareth and somehow they have heard, probably because word is spreading so, so quickly, they have heard that Jesus is so busy that he can't even eat. They probably have been told that he's so exhausted, that he looks exhausted. Some of you have said that about myself, that you probably have these crowds that are just like demanding his time so much and they're concerned about his well-being. And we see this. The definition here is that he's so busy, the dude can't even eat. That's ridiculously busy. And maybe they're worried about Jesus. It seems to be that they're worried about like a mental breakdown is about to happen. Like if they allow this to keep going, Jesus is going to have this mental bre uh, breakdown. They're, they're worried maybe about him like collapsing because he's so overworked. Whatever the case, Jesus' family is coming 
and he's, they're going to take this 30-mile journey from Nazareth to Capernaum. And, and they're going to take charge of him. They're going to take charge of him. They're literally going to restrain him. The, the literal is that they're going to come and make an arrest of him. They're so worried of, about him that they're going to restrain him. They're like, we're going to do whatever it takes to make sure that Jesus gets rest. And it's well intended. But what we see in his response is going to be interesting because this concern is out of a misunderstanding of his mission. And you're going to see this. And once again, this same thing happens to the scribes. There's a misunderstanding of his mission. And so while the family is making this journey, another story comes into play. Mark 3, 22. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, he is, he, he is possessed by Belezebel, but the prince, by the prince of demons. He is driving out demons. Poor Jesus. He's got so much coming at him. Now, we talked about this before, but the scribes of the Pharisees are already kind of just coming at him all the time. And it's a common theme. And now they're going to call the big guns. They're going to call in the people from Jerusalem. They're calling in the scribes from Jerusalem. This is the center of Judaism. These are the best teachers of the law. And what we see is they're going to make this huge accusation at him. He's driving out Satan with Satan. That's the accusation that they're making. This term literally means like this Lord of the Flies. It's a Canaanite God. And they're like, this is literally another word for Satan. He is doing this by the power of Satan. Now, it's an ironic charge. And we shows this, the scribes, even the most well-trained ones, don't understand Jesus' mission. By linking, linking Jesus' power to the realm of demons, they're trying to discredit that which they cannot deny. They are seeing the power that is happening. They are seeing people freed from demonic presence. They're seeing people healed. They're hearing teaching that it comes out of a, a whole other realm. And what we see is that they don't understand this. And Jesus' major mission is actually to invade the house of Satan, not the power of Satan, but invade the house of Satan and free his prisoners. And so Jesus answers them with this, Mark 3, 23 through 27. So Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? Valid question. If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an internal sin. Here we go. He said this because they were saying he has an impure spirit. First, I want to point out the absurdity of the statement. These scribes, Jesus cannot be possessed by Satan, as that would literally mean the ruler of demons have risen up against himself and is fighting and trying to kill himself off. That's the definition of what's happening. And Jesus confronts the religious leaders about this possibility that, and, and, and it says, you're actually opposing me when you say that. They're aligning themselves with evil powers. And it's a defining mark 
of a disciple of God's kingdom that we have the allegiance to Jesus, not the evil, right? Satan is a destroyer. In his very nature, he is a destroyer. That's what he came to do. He loves to spread misery and suffering. That's his agenda. The end goal is to make people miserable. That's what's happening. And Jesus, on the other hand, came with healing. He came to revive the dead. He, he came to revive miserable things. He came to revive those who are suffering. What, what we see is he, he brought joy, not misery. He brought salvation, not death. He cast out demons. Why? To bring relief to those who suffer. It's like the equivalent, and we see this right now. There's so many people who are suffering. There's so many people who are miserable right now, and they're trying every self-help and everything in the world. They're trying psychedelics. They're trying drugs. They're trying alcohol, and they're like, why is this not changing? Why am I even going further down into the hole? Why am I trying my hardest, but it's not coming? And it's because Jesus is the power, and there's a spiritual nature to everyone who's suffering, everyone who's miserable. And Jesus is saying, I've come to bring relief to those who suffer. I'm not possessed by Satan. Instead, I'm possessed by the Spirit of God who came to relieve those who are suffering. With that thinking alone, how does it make sense to attribute his actions with demonic powers? Why would Satan empower Jesus, of all people, to fight against himself? Right? The, what ruler would divide his kingdom against itself? Jesus is proclaiming, in his ministry, the kingdom of God is battling against the kingdom of Satan. Spiritual warfare is happening. And he goes on and says, Satan is now being bound. Satan is like a strong man and people are like his possessions. All right. So, so Satan is like the strong man and people are his possessions. They're enslaved to sin. Some people are even oppressed by him, right? As long as no one stronger comes along, they will never be set free. They will never be delivered. That he has him exactly where he wants. As long as there's nobody coming along that's stronger than him, they're going to stay in that possession. But when someone stronger than the strong man comes and attacks and binds him up, the treasures of his house become liberated. People become liberated. People come, become libera liberated. Under Jesus, people become liberated. No matter what you hear, no matter what people say, it's not until I met Jesus that I became liberated. Many of you in this, in this seat, until you met Jesus, you were not liberated. You tried everything. You tried everything to get out of the strong man's house. You tried everything. And it wasn't until you said, you know what, Jesus is Lord, that you found liberation and freedom. Jesus is entering Satan's domain and he's taking back his possessions. That's what Jesus is saying to the scribes. Jesus is taking people out of the kingdom of Satan and putting him into the kingdom of God. And then Jesus has this intense statement that you probably all have been wrestling with. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. One of the hot buttons of the church. I heard an analogy. I did a lot of study on this because I just want to make sure that I was right or make sure I was doing it. And Mike Winger had this, this, uh, this interesting, I don't know if you know BibleThinker.org. Uh, many of the staff, we watch it. If you have questions about just 
Bible, anything, it's a great resource. So you can just Google or put it on YouTube. Uh, but he's saying some Christians are really terrified of this verse, and, and rightfully so. He equated it to like, it's like you know there's sharks in the ocean. Like it's a possibility, but like the chances of you getting bit and eaten by a shark are very low. And, and what, what we see is that the, there is an un, unforgivable sin, but the chances of it are pretty astronomical. But what does it mean? It means, you know, if we look at the next line, Mark will tell us right here. Verse 30, he said this because they were saying, he has an impure spirit. That's what he's saying. What's happening? Where a person has hardened their heart, hardened their heart so much, like the scribes apparently are doing, that they not only reject the gospel, but in light of overwhelming evidence and miraculous proof, they call it satanic. They call it satanic. Let me say that again. When a person hardens their heart so much, like the scribes apparently do, they, and when they reject the, not only the gospel, but they, they, re, they see all the evidence and all the miraculous proof, they call it evil. The religious leaders are attributing the work of God, the work of Jesus through the Holy Spirit to unclean evil spirits, to Satan himself. The religious leaders who have seen the light of the world, they've seen the light of the world, they have seen the revelation of God through Jesus, in the face of light, they turn to darkness. They are unapologetically misrepresenting the works of the Holy Spirit as demonic. And we see God is calling people through Jesus by the works of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is saying the religious leaders have seen the work of the Holy Spirit through him, they've heard the message, they've seen the miracles, they've seen demons cast out, they've seen light, and they choose darkness. To put it another way, if Jesus did miracles by the power of Satan, there'd be no possibility of salvation. There'd be no possibility of salvation. Now, as this is all going, to, going on, his family finally re- arrives back. This is a lot. Jesus got, got a lot going on. The crowds are still there. They're now waiting outside, and we see this powerful truth about the kingdom. Mark 3, 31-34. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting, was sitting around him, and they told him, Yo, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. He says this, Who are my brothers and brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brother. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus, in the midst of all this, is describing a true spiritual family. Now, Jesus' response here in that day would have been as shocking as it is for us sitting here, right? This is a hard thing to wrestle with, this this idea of, of, of family and how he responds. But he's saying there's actually a true spiritual family. He redefines the nature of family. Family is no longer just biological connections is what he's saying. He's saying family is not about just who you were born with. Us in Indiana say it ain't no longer about just the kinfolk. (laughs) That's just in case somebody that helps someone might speak that way. Na- Daytona 500 is on later today, too. Just a little NASCAR action. 
Jesus responds with a profound statement. He says, those who do the will of God are my family. To Jesus, family equals those who do the will of God. In first century society, a person's family status or that really was their social status. If you were rich, you were rich. Your social status was rich. If you were poor, your social status was poor. There was no getting up by your bootstraps. That was how you were looked at, and that's how you did. Your identity was wrapped up in your family. For some of us, we would be in trouble. Your, your family was, your, your social status was wrapped up in your family. And Jesus is changing this, and he's radically trans, transforming or changing the paradigm. And he's saying this, by participating in the kingdom of God, Jesus is gathering a larger family around him. Jesus is gathering a larger family around him. Church, we're gathering a larger family around, them, around us. And I want to be very careful when I say this, because a lot of churches say you're part of the family. I, I, I Welcome home with some of the signs out, right? We don't do any of that stuff here. Because we actually want to be a family. It's not a fake family. It's not a forced family. Jesus is not talking about some sort of idea of family. He's looking at those around him who are doing the will of God. And he's saying, this is my family. To Jesus, doing the will of God trumps earthly relationships. He's saying this to the crowd. And remember, this crowd would have been very interesting because it was mixed with disciples and religious leaders. We know that, right? They're both. And he's saying this, that they are, uh, that, that the religious leaders, although they're part of the nation, although they're part of God's chosen people, the religious leaders are going to reject him. And yet he's pointing this out. It's spiritual over physical. Everything is spiritual over physical. It's important because many people of Israel are going to reject Jesus. These are his people. This is his nation. And yet they're going to reject him. And at the same time, many Gentiles, people outside the circle, are going to accept him. And he says, now these are my people. Do you see it? Israelites, Gentiles, family members, and non-family members. Whoever says yes to my lordship, whoever says yes to those who, who do the will of God, those are now my people. That is the way of Jesus. We still have responsibility to your family. You still have to deal with your family, right? I'm not giving you off the hook on that. But we're a larger family now. We're a larger family. And it's so important to me. It's so important to me because I view you guys as brothers and sisters. I really do. With it comes the challenges of brothers and sisters. I was the annoying younger brother. I'm still the annoying younger brother even though I'm the pastor. You all can feel it. Dana's over here saying, amen. <laughs> so what do we do with this? These are weird stories. What are the ways of Jesus? How do we, how do we now act? How do we now uh, keep on this spiritual journey? Number one, I think it's so important that we look for the spirit at work. Now we look for the spirit at work. The religious leaders completely missed it. Uh, I think that we actually, there needs to be a paradigm shift that we have that we can get all into the earthly fleshy stuff here on earth that we can miss what God's doing. We can miss what God's doing. Clearly, the people who were quote unquote educated, the religious, should have been the ones who get it. 
But time and time again, they miss what God's doing. God is clearly at work here. And we see this, that church folk, we can have the same challenge as well. If there's ever a part, if you've been a part of the, the story of God for a long time, you've been in church, myself included, I read it very much through the lens of the Pharisees. I, I say, how would I have missed this too? Because we like, oh man, those Pharisees, they, they, they just never get it. We can actually think of them as dumb, but sometimes we put up barriers that keep us from seeing what the Holy Spirit's doing. Sometimes our religiosity and need for control get in the way. Amen in the house. Amen. We say, this is how it's all supposed to work. This is how it's always supposed to work. This is my chair. This is where I sit. If a new guest comes, they need to know. You have blinders and miss what God's doing. New and fresh is oftentimes not in our comfort zone. God's doing something new here. We're growing at a rate that we're probably unsustainable. And for those that are new, we're like 30 of us just kind of trying to figure this thing out like a year ago. God's doing a new thing. I'm speaking to the OG here. Are we ready for it? Are we ready to just get on our knees as a, as a team and say, Holy Spirit, what are you doing here? Give me spiritual eyes. Sometimes jealousy gets in the way. Sometimes jealousy gets in the way. I, it's weird. I, as many of you probably have heard of the Asbury Revival, there's an awakening. These kids have been for a week, uh, nonstop, praising the Lord, keeps growing and growing. Uh, and I was talking to my buddy who's like four hours away. He's the campus, my college roommate's a campus pastor just down the road. And he, he's like, man, it's, sometimes you get like, God, why did you not do that here? And, and I feel the same way. Like, man, if we need a spiritual awakening, Pacific Northwest, Kentucky, do they need it? No, they do. But, but here, we need it as well. There's a jealousy. But instead, we get to say, the Lord is doing a new thing in Gen Z. The Lord is doing a new thing at Asbury. Whatever you want to call it, revival, awakening, whatever it is, there's people that are just desperate for Jesus there. And I say, come Holy Spirit into this space as well. It's the same God. The Spirit needs to break out. I want to be a church where we see God's mo God moving. Oftentimes, God's moving in really small ways that when we put it all together, like a year later, we look back and we're like, oh my goodness, look what the Lord did. And we can get grumpy and angry and jealous and like, Lord, I want to see you more. I want to see you more. And right there in the face, the Lord's like, are you not seeing this? Oftentimes, when we're sitting up here with prayer, people come for prayer. And it's like, I want to hear what the Lord has to say. I want some direction from the Father. I want to really go for it. And, you're, and, and we hear from the Lord. And it's like just the most plain thing that you've ever seen. Are you a mother? Yeah. There's where the Lord's working. And your kids. Double down on that. Some people want this call to be a missionary, or this call to go do something great. And the Lord's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm working this way. Are you willing to go slow with me? We're also called to discern. John, First uh, John four, four one. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many of many false prophets have gone out into the world. I've, I'm not going to go deep on this. I have. We did a whole thing on spirit-led church this summer, and I talked about being a spirit-led church. What does this look like? Uh, go watch it because I can't go too deep in here. But one of the things that I always say is that. To be a healthy, spirit-led church, 
our discerning gift has to be as high as every other gift. Okay? That's where hurt happens. Our discerning gift has to be as high as every other gift. We're supposed to test every spirit. We're supposed to not believe every spirit. We discern. But sometimes, I also want to push this. Sometimes there can be a misunderstanding. And sometimes we can mask discernment with just cynicism. Sometimes we can, in the West, have pessimism and negativity and cynicism rule our culture. And in Christianity, we can hide behind it and say, we're just discerning. We're just discerning. Because the Lord is doing weird new things. And we are cynical to these things sometimes. Instead of saying, Lord, give me spiritual eyes to see. I'm afraid we're going to miss what God's doing sometimes. I want us to be people who are actually asking this question, what is God doing? I challenged us as a church a couple of months ago, and I don't know how many people are still doing it. I'm still trying to. But instead of just like normal greetings, how do we as a church say, what is God doing in your life? Where do you see God moving in your life? Because there is a tapestry of the Holy Spirit working amongst us that we have to see. But oftentimes we just have these blinders. Like, where is the Lord working in my life? But we're a spiritual family. Number two, Jesus has a deep passion for those who do the will of the Father. Mark's point in telling this story is to describe the new family that comes when being, through, when being in obedience with Jesus. Jesus' words were a comfort to people in the first century because these people had given up their mothers and their fathers and their brothers and their sisters. They were all in. This would have been significant to them. This doesn't go unnoticed. Discipleship is difficult. It costs something. The price is actually really high. It really is high. I mean, it's 12-12 on a Sunday. Y'all don't have to be here. There is a cost to it. But what we see is that the Father's will is oftentimes not easy. When people come up for prayer, people come up for prayer and they say, I want to discern the Father's will. I want to hear from the Lord. I want to see where he's moving. I oftentimes pray first, Lord, prepare this person for what you're about to hear. Because we want it to be all glitter and shine and be the center of attention. Because if we're in God's will, there's going to be attention or there's going to be some sort of great thing that happens. But oftentimes the Lord's calling you deeper into something that's tougher. But he calls us to people who are doing the will of the Father. But we see disciples are now part of a new family because they joined in obedience. We're called to be disciples. The religious leaders who should have recognized and supported Jesus' work opposed him. They called it actually not even of God. And his biological family completely misunderstands him at this point. And in the midst of all this, Jesus says, here's where my passion is. Here's where my mission is. My passion is with those who do the will of my Father. For those who are willing to give up everything for, to follow him. Number three, we in turn have a deep love for the people of God. This is why I started my sermon the other way. We're all on this journey and it's tough. We now get to act like family. We now get to act like family. That's actually a really nice call, and it's actually a really hard call at the same time. For Jesus, he would have had no uh, concept for this half-in, half-out Christian community. 
This would have not made sense to him at all. This, I'll come when I can, I'll join when I can, I'll be in or out. He's saying, no, there's a spiritual family that I'm creating. He knit each one of us together in love. And it's this, anyone who does the will of the Father now practices the way of Jesus. He has a deep passion for us, but we're now all part of the family business and we're brothers and we're sisters. I have a biological family. I have responsibility in my biological family. But at the same time, I now treat Jason like my brother. And we are brothers. I now treat Mama Bertha like my sister. Although in some ways she's like a spiritual God, grandmother to me. We practice the way of Jesus. We now do life together. We laugh together. We cry together. We break bread together. We have difficult conversations together. We cheer each other up. We correct when we need correction. And we deeply one, love one another. We have family values within the church. Just like we preach family values outside the church, within the church we have family values as well. And that's where we miss it. Loving and caring, to, caring for each other is part of the work of the ministry. Jesus is redefining so much of what it means to be a follower. And he's setting into motion something so much better. We love each other and we try our hardest to live in unity. First Peter says this, 3.8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. 2 Corinthians 13, 11. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be in you. I want to acknowledge something. I'm pushing for this. Many people, many, many people in this room have church hurt. However you define it. Church hurt. Right? I want to be clear. The Lord, I think, is building something here at Redeem that is to show what authentic community looks like. For those who come in with church hurt, I want to say this very clearly. We are trying to create community that looks more like the first century church than the modern day church. And what we're saying is we need to be a family if we're going to do that. Now, I want to say this too. At the same time, being family means that we're just a bunch of humans. There are times where you are going to be offended. Sorry. Just like the Thanksgiving table sometimes. There are times when you're going to get a little passive-aggressive comment on your way. It is. It's human on human. But we strive for unity, for sympathy, for humility, for peace. These are the family values that we hold. These are the family values that we hold. This is a tougher life to choose this. I feel like next week there's going to be like eight people here. <laughs> but what do we see? When you look at society, what do you see? Because here's the alternative. I mean this. Here's the alternative. The alternative is you see family breakdown and you see church breakdown. You see people who are completely outside of community trying to do this on their own. It does not work. It works great until you're puking your guts out. I was not going to share this. Well, I'll share this. David, I'm sorry. I'm going to share this story about you, buddy. 
I didn't pass this by him, but that's fine. We're close enough. He's new here. I, I got connected to him through my mother-in-law. He's like, there's this great guy, and he is a great guy, David. And he's amazing. He just moved to the, new to the area. He's figuring this stuff out. And he literally, we met for like two times. We just had coffee together. And I said, bro, what are you doing for church? And at the time, you're like, oh, I just kind of watch Elevation Online, which is a great a church out in North Carolina. And I'm in a men's group. Uh, we Friday online from people from all over the country. And we get together and we talk about the sermons. I think that's, I'm telling you, right? It's awesome. Awesome. Cool. You need to be in a local church. That, that's what I told him. And a couple weeks or a month runs by, and I get this call at 6 a.m. He's like, bro, I am puking my guts out. I ate something bad. I can't even move. I don't even know what to do. He's like, can you run to the store? I know you're the only person out. Can you run to the store and get me Gatorade and Pepto-Bismol, please? It's all good to be outside of Christian community. It's all good to have people not in your grill. It's all good to just kind of be like this. Then you're puking your guts out. You need someone to come hold your hand at the hospital. You need someone to come pick you up because your car is not working. You can't understand what's going on inside you and you're crying. You're like, what is going on? I don't even know. And you're like, I don't even know who to call. Family. The alternative is what we see out there. The alternative is, I got this, I got this, I got this. And everyone's life is tear, torn apart. Depression and anxiety and drug use and alcoholism and domestic, domestic violence and everything. It's like, man, we've, we've, we've pulled ourselves away from all this centered Christian community. We've, we've pulled ourselves away from even family nucleus. And we find ourselves in the situation that we find ourselves in. And you can say whatever you want. The church hurts a lot of people. I don't want to say that you have not had church hurt, but I'm telling you, the alternative is so much worse when you pull yourself away. And there will be times that you're offended, and there will be times that people say stuff to you. There will be times that you there's misunderstanding. There will be times that me as the pastor, you're like, I can't believe he said that. And you know what we get to do? You get to come to me, and you get to say, hey, you're my brother, you're my sister. What did you mean by that? Why did you say that to me? What's the, why did we not connect this week? Whatever it looks like. And we get to have a family meeting about it. That was it. Go ahead and stand up. <laughs> I looked at my notes. I'm like, I don't even know where I'm at. <sighs> Let's get the worship band up here. Let me, uh, let me pray for us, for those watching online that are still hanging on, that, that's going to be a weird, abrupt ending. I want to I pray for those two things. I, I want to pray, one, for, for I, I think there's some people that, that maybe they uh, feel like they've lost their spiritual eyes. They've lost seeing the world the way the Lord wants them to, and so I'm going to pray for you. I also want to pray for those that have felt uh, church hurt before. If that's you, uh, I don't apologize. I, I can't apologize for the church that did that to you. Um, but I can I can pray for you to find healing and find rest. And I, I do say this. If that's you, and I don't know who it is, if Redeem's not your place, I, God bless you. But go find a Christian community. I, I mean it. 
Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Jesus, your words are so challenging. The way you lived is so challenging. The way of Jesus, just going to be completely transparent, is so challenging for me sometimes. Lord, I want those spiritual eyes so badly. I know many people in this room want the spiritual eyes. Those that are uh, just tired, those who are worn down, those that have lost their first love, will you help them remember the joy of their salvation? Will you give them spiritual eyes like the first day when they became a Christian, where they just wanted to shout with joy, where they wanted to share the gospel, where they wanted to uh, tell everyone that they know, Lord, will you change them, Lord Jesus? I pray right now that you, Lord, would also give us spiritual eyes. As people walk through the, into this door, when we go back to work this week, will you give us spiritual eyes, Lord? Will you mess with us a little bit where it's like, you're, will you give us words of wisdom and words of knowledge just to speak to people, to just say that you're seen, that you're loved. Just give us spiritual eyes because the world is hurting so much and the enemy wants to pull people away even further from the community. And Lord, we're saying come into the family of God. Number two, I pray for those that have church hurt in any capacity. Lord, I just feel, just let your Holy Spirit come and just rest on them right now. Bind up any lie that they have in their head or their heart that's not of you when it comes to the church. Bind up anything that's not of you right now. Holy Spirit, you are so strong right now. I pray right now that you will speak into people's hearts right now. Anybody who was hurt by the church in any capacity, I pray healing right now in Jesus' name. I, I pray authentic community in Jesus' name. I pray that they would find the boldness and the courage to say, I'm stepping through that line back into family, Lord Jesus. And then I pray for us as a family. Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would not, we would not say anything that hurts people, that we would strive for peace and unity and humility that we would strive for steadfast love. That we would hold each other's hands. And when we hold each other's hands to pray, that people would say, I've never felt more myself than when I was in Christian community. And I know many people are far from that. But Lord, I pray right now healing in this house. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.